0: What a great blessing it is to worship with you this morning. So, we've all been uh, overwhelmed by what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. And I shared on Wednesday night, on Monday, I was part of a live call in radio show where they call in to ask questions of pastors. And there's three pastors that kind of field the questions. And whenever they run out of pastors they give me a call so I'm not in the normal mix but they must have been desperate they gave John a call and so can you do the show I only learned that day usually in the afternoon one time it was an hour before so really an emergency called Johnny anyways I was hoping it was last Monday we're only four or five days into what was happening in Ukraine and Russia and I was hoping that that would not take up the whole hour-long show, and it took up the whole hour talking about the Russian-Ukrainian conflict that's going on, and I fear, and I just say this as a warning, we're not getting all the true information coming out. There's a lot of propaganda, so be careful about jumping on the bandwagon and right now, it is jumping on the bandwagon. you got to color the fly the right flag, and it's not the flag of the United States. And be careful about that. Um, the prime minister or president of Ukraine is a globalist. He got into politics from acting because he admired the work that the prime minister of Canada was doing. So just know that's where his heart is, although he is being raised up as a a hero. Personally, I feel that there is a desire of the globalists to do a global reset. They've even written books about it, and I think all of this is at play. And I believe, personally, that one of the possibilities of Russia is that they are saying we're not going to be part of that global agenda. And so they might be kind of just like, like the America first policy that we used to have. It wasn't going along with the global agenda. And our last president was attacked for it all the time. I'm not saying Putin is a good man. I'm not saying people aren't being unjustly harmed and killed and hurts. I'm just saying be careful, go slow. But I do feel, and I said this on the radio, I feel that this is fitting in with in-time events that have been prophesied in Scripture. And we should be looking at the word of God. And it's not to bring us fear. The Lord has told us in the vents the things that are to come to give us hope, but also to serve him. We're not to run for the hills. We are to serve Jesus, to occupy until he comes. So be cautious, my warning to you. Be cautious and uh, just wait. See the picture, the beauty queen from Ukraine who got out of her beauty costume and picked up arms. They discovered that it was an airsoft rifle. It was a toy gun that she was holding in that photograph. So there's propaganda at play here. So be careful, take it slow, and uh, know that ultimately God is working out his plan. And be wise in these last days. All right, let's go ahead and get into the Bible. We're coming into our eighth teaching in the series of the chronological journey through the Gospels, where I'm taking all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, trying to mesh them together in a chronological order, in the order that uh, the account of Christ appears. And I'll even begin with something that is out of order, about 18 months out of order, actually. So... Sometimes it's hard to mesh everything together, but I'm doing my best to kind of put it together in a flow of how the events took place by looking at all four Gospels, but not always reading from all four Gospels. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, are very similar in the account that they lay out, some giving more detail in some areas of the account of Christ than others, but very similar in the layout The Synoptic Gospels, as they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have the Gospel of John, who takes a different approach in his account. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in John and probably all of next week in the Gospel of John, Lord willing. But today we're going to look at Jesus' baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, and questions that they had for John the Baptist. So we're going to look at a message that I entitled, The Lamb of God. And we're going to see the baptism of Christ, looking at Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, the temptation of Christ coming from Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, and questions for the Baptists, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the first portion of Scripture, which actually comes from Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to ask God to bless the teaching of His Word and also the blessed, the gifts, the offerings given that come from those who attend here and those who, through our online ministry or through uh, direct deposit into our banking accounts, the Lord has been providing for our fellowship in wonderful ways, and we want to thank him for that. So I'm reading, first of all, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, and it says, But Herod the Tetrarch being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. Father, we ask that you would just bless the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, let it nourish our souls. We need you, Lord. The world is in conflict, but you are not. Maybe our lives, Lord at times are in conflict, but you are not. So help us, Lord, to find rest in you this morning. We also, Lord, thank you for the gifts to this fellowship, for your provision for this place. At the end of this year in December, Lord, we officially celebrate 30 years of ministry. And we thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to be a light in this community for nearly 30 years now. So, Lord, give us wisdom with the gifts given here. May they be used for your glory and used, Lord, as long as you should tarry and used to help prepare the next generations of worshipers who will come to this place. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I included Luke 3 verses 19 through 20 because Luke, before he told about the baptism of Jesus Christ, he first told about John the Baptist being shut up in prison But this will take place actually about 18 months later in the timeline. So he's given us a preview. And I believe the reason he did this is because Luke is writing to Theophilus, lover of God. He's writing to a specific individual whom I believe already knew about John the Baptist and his being shut up in the prison by Herod the Tetrarch and also put to death. And the reason I say that is because Josephus, who was not a believer in Jesus Christ, but a Jewish historian that wrote around the time of the destruction of Israel. He actually was there when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, and he was embedded. He was an embedded reporter with the Roman army, although he was a Jewish man. He wrote about John the Baptist and told about him. So this was a known account that had taken place. So I believe that Luke was simply helping Theophilus know that this is the John who was put up, shut up into prison by Herod. And then he backs up some 18 months and he gives the account of Jesus being baptized by John. And so we look at that account today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 13 13. Through 17, but it's also found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and it's alluded to, which we'll look at later, in John's Gospel, chapter 1. And so we're going to look at it from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. The Word of God tells us, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. I love the word of God. In this sense, I've prepared I had my sermon finished by Thursday afternoon. I reread it on Friday. I didn't look at it again. Normally I don't on Saturday. I looked at it again this morning. And as I'm reading through verse 15, Jesus said, thus it is fitting for us. And I only directed that fitting for, to fulfill all, all righteousness to Jesus. And yet Jesus was telling John that he too was part of this. It is fitting for us. That's why I love the Word of God. You can read through a passage. You can even prepare a study from the passage, and then suddenly you're in the teaching, and the Lord is, hey, John, you forgot this one. It's like, thank you, Jesus. I didn't see that before. Slow down, John, when you're studying, and maybe you'll see these things. That's just me. It's not you. Though many were baptized by John, his greatest privilege was the baptizing and the introduction of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We get that introduction in John's Gospel, but here is the baptism. And the Spirit, we learn from combining the Gospels, revealed to John that Jesus was the Messiah. In John's Gospel, he would say, I did not know him except the Spirit says. And so even though John and Jesus were cousins and John was Six months, maybe a little older than Jesus. And maybe it would heard the special circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit of God revealed to John that Jesus was the Messiah. That he introduced Jesus to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So even John the Baptist waited He may have had a lot of information. He may have heard stories from his father and mother, Zacharias and Elizabeth. He may have heard accounts from Mary and Joseph. But it wasn't until the Spirit spoke to him that he was willing to step forward and to introduce Jesus as the Messiah. Even John was cautious with the information that was being fed to him before he related to others. We need to be cautious as I began my didn't begin my message with that, but just a warning as we was talking about the circumstances of our world today. The Word of God tells us as regarding to fulfill all righteousness. First Peter two twenty-one tells us, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus, because he was without sin, had nothing to repent of. And yet Jesus told John, it's right for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And through the baptism, Jesus then identified with those for whom he died there upon the cross. He identified with us through his baptism, though he needed not be baptized. He identified with the sin-fallen world, that he came to set that example of what true righteousness is. William MacDonald, in his commentary, Believer's Bible Commentary, and I like this commentary personally. It's a one-volume commentary of the whole Bible, and I have other ones on the bookshelves behind me that are several If you're a reader, these are great. If you're not that much of a reader, one volumes are really nice. This is what he had to say about this. Baptism for Jesus was a ritual symbolizing the way in which he would fulfill all the righteous claims of God against man's sins. His immersion typified his baptism in the water of God's judgment at Calvary, the burying under the water. His emergence, the coming up from the water, foreshadowed his resurrection. By death, burial, and resurrection, he would satisfy the demands of the divine judgment and provide a righteous basis by which sinners could be justified. We are not saved by baptism, but as believers in Jesus Christ, it is good if you are able to follow the Lord in baptism. In fact, Statistically, those who follow Christ in baptism have a stronger percentage of staying in the faith than those who receive Christ as their Savior and are never baptized. But just know that baptism doesn't save us, but baptism is a symbol. As we go under the water, it's symbolizing the death of sin. As we come up out of the water, it is a symbol. Of that new life that we have found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God tells us in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. taking on the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let this mind be with you that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to John, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. We should then strive to follow in the righteous footsteps of Christ. Jesus was baptized as if he were a sinner that he might identify with those who for whom he died. In verses 16 and 17, it tells us, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 19.15 tells us one witness shall not rise against any man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits but by the mouths of two or three witnesses every matter shall be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses and here we find at the baptism of Jesus Christ we find a threefold witness of Christ being the Messiah, by combining the Gospels together, and that's what we're doing this year as we take this chronological journey through the Gospels. By combining the Gospels, as Jesus emerged from water, Luke 3.21 tells us that he was praying. The heavens parted, as we just read. And the Spirit descended upon him as a dove, Mark 1.10. And John 1.33 tells us that the spirit remained upon him. And finally, we have the testimony of God speaking from heaven saying, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this is one of the clearest examples in scripture of the triunity of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all merging together at one point in history in the history of this world, at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Our triune God, we need to realize, is always involved when a child of God is being baptized, for God is always very pleased with those who put their faith in his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' prayer, combined with the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, when he was baptized, is the reason why Pastor Kevin and I pray for each person we baptize, and we tell them beforehand that we're going to do this. But as soon as we bring them up out of the water, we pray that the Holy Spirit would fill their lives. And we have an example of that through Christ. So we pray that the Lord would guide them and fill them with his spirit the moment that they are baptized. So if you ever wonder why, if you're watching When we're doing a baptism, we pause with prayer. This is why, because Jesus was praying according to Luke. And after he came up out of the water, the spirit came upon him. May we each be blessed with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life and God's purifying fire in our lives. And know this, that God, the triune God, is always involved when a child of God comes to faith in Jesus Christ when a child of God is being baptized. Well, Jesus came up out of the water and he was driven into the wilderness by the spirit. Sometimes when the spirit comes upon us, he causes us to do things that we might not want to do. As we find this account of the temptation of Christ, it comes to us in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Mark 1 verses 12 and 13. But we're going to look at Luke's account, chapter 4 verses 1 through 13, Luke's account of the temptation of Christ. I will say, as you go through Matthew and Luke's account, Mark's is very short. He just tells us that Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he doesn't go into much detail. He doesn't talk about the three testings by Satan. And the order of the testings are revealed. Testings 2 and 3 are reversed in Matthew's account and Luke's account. And so if you're reading from Matthew, you'll have a different order. Same testings, but a different order. And they both start with the turning, uh, the attempting of turning stone into bread. They both begin with that. But let's go ahead and look at Luke's gospel. Jesus being led into the wilderness, verses 1 and 2 of Luke's gospel, chapter 4, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. Now Mark tells us, even though Mark is very brief, he says that he was immediately drove into the wilderness. As I said, sometimes the Holy Spirit will drive us into places we would rather not go. There in the wilderness, Jesus symbolically representing the children of Israel as they had been in the bondage of Egypt for 400 years and then freed from Egypt and spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, as a babe, their family escaped to Egypt and now... He spends 40 days in the wilderness, but there's a big difference between Jesus and the children of Israel. That first generation that came out of Egypt, when you go through that, realize that only two people, according to the word of God, of that first generation that came out of Egypt entered into the promised land. The two were Joshua and Caleb. All the rest died in the wilderness. That's because for 40 years they were being guided by their flesh. Jesus here is guided by the spirit of God, spends 40 days. And Matthew tells us being tempted by the devil. I believe that there was more than just three temptations, but the whole 40 days that Satan was bugging him, tempting him. Hebrews 4.15 tells us we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Matthew and Luke tells us that for those 40 days he fasted. He took no food. Mark tells us that he was with the wild beast. If Satan was in control of the wild beast, we can be assured that the wild beast's intent was to bring harm to Jesus It could be that Mark is just telling us he was in such a remote place that the wild animals were there. But the Spirit will not only lead us, but sometimes the Spirit will drive us into those situations that we would rather not go. And whether the Spirit is leading or driving, we should have the confidence that God is working out his plan in our lives. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For he himself said, speaking of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But after the forty days, Satan came to Jesus with three final temptations. Picking up in verse two again, down through verse four. And afterwards, when they had ended, the forty days had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my Father's mouth. Jesus, in combat against Satan, used the word of God. He was actually quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, where it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Yahweh, the mouth of the Lord. There in the wilderness, God humbled Israel through feeding them with manna that they might know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even though Jesus could have turned the stone into bread to satisfy his hunger, Jesus's focus was then is always Godward. He was there, not to satisfy his physical need by supernatural means it's not that he could not have done this he could have but his focus was godward and like jesus we should never use the gifts of god for our personal gain we should however daily seek god's provision for our lives we should pray i mentioned this on wednesday night in our teaching matthew 6:11 give us this day our daily bread When I was quoting that passage on Wednesday, and I've taught this portion of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer, before, but it has this sense, at the beginning of our day, we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, when we connect the daily bread, we connect it with physical food, and when do we normally pray the prayer of blessing over the food? Right before we consume it, right? Take a moment. I hope that you do. We link hands in our household. You should. And we pray together. Give us this day our daily bread. It's right there on the table. We thank the Lord for what he has given us. But, uh, you know, with hyperinflation that's coming in right now, and I think it's only going to get worse, maybe, maybe we should begin our days saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So Satan, verses five through eight, Luke four, the devil taking him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, All will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So at the fall, the authority that God had given to Adam and thus Adam and Eve, that authority had been forfeited to Satan. It was God who told Adam to have dominion over the whole earth. But when they took of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whatever that fruit might have been. When they took of that and their eyes were open, they realized that they were naked and that they had sinned against God. They had forfeited the rights that God had given them to have dominion over the earth. And Satan now held that title. And Satan here offers Jesus a way out. A way out of that sacrifice upon the cross. All you have to do is bow down and worship me and all this. Jesus came to redeem the whole world, not for our sins only, but for the whole world. According to first John chapter one, I think it's verse two, two, but I can't be sure. Deuteronomy 1020 tells us, and this is where Jesus brought this from. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him to him. You shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. It is written, once again, Jesus comes to Satan with the word of God. When someone asks you a Bible question, try to learn the Bible so much that you can answer with scripture. Because if you're answering with your own opinions, that's all you're giving them is your opinion. But if you're answering them with the word of God, you're giving them the truth of God. And God's word can become a seed that plants deep into a person's heart and that will in season blossom forth in fruit. Our words might help a person, but our words are just words. Darby wrote, the whole secret of strength in conflict is using the word of God in the right way. And you have to use the word of God properly. In the right way. Keep it in its context. Don't blow it apart. Don't destroy it. In fact, Second Timothy 2:15 says, "Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth." And it takes time. And it's not that you are to arrive, and you'll never arrive. I'm still learning. But I can tell you this, the more you use the word of God, the more you talk with people about Jesus, the more you study God's word and share it with others. And when they ask questions, though you may or may not have the answers, you can always say, I'll, I'll get back to you. That's a great question. Do you Give me a moment to look into that or, you know, get back to you and make a schedule, maybe even make an appointment uh, to talk with them. But it helps you learn. I can tell you this every time I prepare for a Sunday morning message, you know what I did on uh, Friday morning? I reduced two pages out of my notes because I realized I had too much information. Because I knew that you would sit here too long if I had everything. <laughs> so I, I was just, how can I shorten this? How can uh, I get rid of that? And make that go away. Every time I study the words, Word of God, I have more information than I share with you, but I'm learning in the process, and the same can be true with you. The third temptation, right priorities. Luke 4, verses 9 through 12. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, You shall give his angel charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. This time Satan uses the word of God. All right, Jesus, if you're going to keep answering me by the Bible, I'm going to use the Bible against you. Be careful of that as well. Several years ago, one of our famous congresswoman. Rightly quoted the Word of God, but she does not live the Word of God. Be careful. People can rightly quote the Word of God, but you have to also judge the life that they're living at the same time. He was quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He quoted what the Word of God says. Psalm 91, 11 For he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways, verse 12, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And truly a successful jump from the temple of God, it wouldn't be rare for anybody to jump off a building. People still do that stuff to this day. It normally doesn't end well for them. But if Jesus would have jumped from the pinnacle of the temple and the angels bared him up, he just kind of slowly came down, announced himself, As the son of God, perhaps some would have believed him. But we need to understand that Jesus was on a God ordained timetable, which was leading to the cross. Therefore, he did not let anyone, not Satan, not anyone else to interrupt or circumvent the path that he was on. When the hour finally came and John uh, tells us this throughout his gospel that the hour had not yet come. He introduces that theme in John chapter 2. But when the hour finally came in John 17, 1, Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also be glorified in you. And it was the cross that brought glory to Christ. He would not let Satan or any other to interrupt to circumvent his true mission. Once again, Jesus countered Satan with the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 16. Now, Jesus only had the Old Testament at that time, but we have New Testament church believers today that it's like, I don't even pay attention to the Old Testament today. I just read the New Testament. Every answer that Jesus gave to Satan came out of the Old Testament. It's important to read the whole truth of God, not just parts of it. But Deuteronomy 616, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. And sadly, Israel often tempted or tested God. Psalm 7841 says, yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel through their temptation, their testing. They limited God in their life. And never forget that Satan always twists the true meaning of Scripture. And also, tempting or testing God limits God's work in our own lives. In verse 13, we find the Lord gave Jesus a divine reprieve. Now, when Satan had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan would tempt Jesus again, and none more than when Jesus went to the cross, but each of these temptations, the stone being turned into bread, uh, seeing all the kingdom of the world and their glory jumping from the pinnacle of the temple, all these things can be encapsulated in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where John writes to us saying, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the father, but of the world. The stone being turned into bread. The lust of the flesh. He was hungry. Why not feed yourself when you're hungry? Seeing all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The lust of the eyes. Jumping from the temple to prove that he was the son of God. The pride of life. Temptation for us becomes sin. When we are drawn away from Jesus to satisfy the lust of our flesh. According to James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say that they are tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Temptation isn't wrong, but the temptation can become sin and ultimately James says, Death, when we follow through, we are in great danger. Being victorious over devil's temptations, Satan left Jesus for a season. According to Matthew and Mark, angels came to minister to Jesus at this time. And this was before Jesus began his public ministry. With each temptation, Jesus not only identified with those for whom he would die, He also showed that by using God's word, we can have victory over Satan and over our sins. Hebrews 2.18 tells us, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hey, when you're in a bad situation, call out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Lord, help. Lord, save. Sometimes it just it doesn't take much. Yet God hears our prayers. When you cry out to Jesus with a a true heart, a heart that desires to serve God, to come into that place of repentance, Christ responds to those prayers. So when the spirit brings us through a trial, know this, he will often bring us to a time of refreshing. I had said earlier in the United States, it seems like we've been going through back to back. We don't get those seasons of refreshing. I don't know if we will, but I pray that we do. Our world could use a time of refreshing right now. The thing is, oftentimes when those seasons of refreshing come, we, yes, immediately, it's like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yet in difficult times, it keeps us closer to Christ than in good times. Have you ever discovered that in your own life? When times are harder, it will either drive you away from Christ or drive you closer to Christ. So sometimes the times of refreshing, though as good as they might be. In the conflict of this world, it helps to keep us close to Christ. We're going to finish off by looking at John's gospel, chapter one, verses 19 through 34. Questions for the Baptist. After 400 years of silence uh, from the Old and New Testament, there was basically around 400 years where the Spirit of God did not speak prophetically to the children of God. But John the Baptist came on the scene. Even prior to that, Gabriel began to speak to Zacharias and Elizabeth, to Mary, uh, Joseph in dreams, the shepherds, the wise men through prophecy. They understood that God was on the move, and now John comes preaching the gospel, he came preaching Matthew 3 two. repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So they came asking John questions. It tells us in John 1 verses 19 through 21. Now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, No. So he confessed. I like how that was worded. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. I am not Christos. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Christos in the Greek means the anointed one. I am not the anointed one. I am not the Messiah. But the preaching of John so stirred the hearts of the people that they came to be baptized by him and it perked up the messianic prophecies in their life. And they had at the first coming of Christ a great expectation of the Lord's coming. Do you realize the Lord said, I'm coming again. And in the last days, I pray that the Holy Spirit would in his church, raise up this great expectation of the Lord's coming in our lives as well. He said, I am not the Christ. They asked, are you Elijah then? Why would they ask this? Because at the end of the Old Testament, the last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Lord said, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So they asked because even to this day, Orthodox Jews, Passover's coming up in April, and the Orthodox Jews will have their Passover meal and some of the Jews will set an extra plate at their table. That extra plate is for Elijah, he might show up, so they still have this expectation of Elijah's coming, Jesus said that he will come again, Elijah is definitely coming, but Jesus described John the Baptist as a type of Elijah, I tell you that he has already come, and they knew that he was speaking of John, are you the prophet? This refers to a Mosaic prophecy of Deuteronomy eighteen, fifteen and eighteen, where Moses wrote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. John the Baptist, though, he denied that he was not the Christ. He was neither the Christ, Elijah, nor the prophet. Yet Jesus said of John in Matthew 17, 11 through 13, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. As the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. John said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. His answer, verses 22 and 23, I'm the voice. He said to them, when they asked him, who are you? that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John's ministry was based off of prophecy that comes from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, And where did he baptize? In the wilderness, in the desert. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. The rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. John related himself to the voice, that proclamation the voice of one crying in the wilderness from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. To this day, when a president is showing up, if they have enough notice, they'll spruce up the town. They'll plan out the route. They'll make sure that he gets the best route. If President Biden was going to come to Chicago, they probably wouldn't take him through the worst parts of Chicago. Chicago. They might take them down Michigan Avenue, might take them down the nice portions of the town. Of course, I haven't been to Chicago in the last couple of years. You might find boarded up windows there. It might not look too great still to this day. Hopefully they've got beyond that. But when kings traveled in the days of John, they did the same thing. His route was repaired. It was called the King's Highway. As the forerunner, John exalted the humble and lowered the prideful. He straightened out the crooked hearts. He smoothed out the roughness that he might prepare Israel for the king's coming. And so they asked, why do you baptize? Verses 24 and 25. Now those who were sent from the Pharisees, they said, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Normally, only Jewish proselytes were baptized those who were gentiles coming into the jewish faith would be baptized jews weren't normally baptized this was different why are you baptizing in the bible it's an interesting study there are seven baptisms mentioned i'll read them off for you now according to 1 peter 3 20 and 21 refers to the baptism of noah 2 Corinthians 10 verses one and two, the baptism of Moses acts 19 verse four, the baptism of repentance. That's referring to John's baptism, Matthew 28, 19 believers baptism that which we practice as the church today, acts one five, the baptism of the Holy spirit, which Jesus foretold would come upon his church, Matthew three, 11 and 12, the baptism of fire and Romans six, Three, the baptism of Christ seven baptisms mentioned in the word of God. So you have the passages now you can look them up for yourselves do a little study on it. Why do you baptize his answer? I baptize with water verse 26, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap. I am not worthy to loose. So John here touches on the mystery of the deity of Christ and his position with the heavenly father. John 1 15 says John bore witness of him saying this was he of whom it is said he comes after me though he is preferred before me for he was before me when John began his ministry he did not recognize Jesus did not know him as the Messiah but The Holy Spirit revealed this truth to John and he became the witness then of the Messiah to the people. Verse 28 tells us these things were done at Bethabara, which is beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So Bethabara comes from the Texas Receptus Greek manuscript. Bethania is in the majority text. They use a different, similar, but different. One means... The ferry house, like a crossing at a river. Bethabara means the fairy house. The other house of dates, Bethania. And then we have John saying that Anon was the area of where he baptized in John 3:23. I'm saying that because we don't know this location to this day. We kind of get a general sense of the area, but we don't know the exact location where John baptized to this day. It was a place where there was much water. At a time today when visibility is everything, whether talking about a ministry's physical location, I had a guest speaker at our church many years ago who told me, you know, you guys should sell this property and go move to a better location. You're out here in the middle of farmland. We're hanging on to it. Physical location, online presence today. John ministered in a remote location. He wore strange clothes. He maintained a strange diet, yet these things did not keep people from coming out to hear his message. John did not preach a seeker-friendly message. He preached repentance to God. And John's baptism then became an outward sign of the inward work that God was doing in people's lives as he prepared them for the Messiah's coming. And the next day, And we're going to get into this more next week. John lays out a few days. So we're going to continue in John's gospel next week, picking up in verse 35. But here he says, the next day, personally, I believe John had already baptized Jesus. He went off into the temptations of Christ, 40 days and 40 nights. And then the next day, Jesus comes walking back in the area again. And John does the introduction After the temptation, the next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. Of the 102 times that the word lamb appears in the Bible in the singular form, 70 of them are found in the Old Testament. It's twice used in connection to Abraham offering up his son as a sacrifice to God in Genesis 22 although we know that God substituted Isaac with a ram. It is also part of the Exodus in Exodus chapter 12, where the word lamb appears six times, that Passover lamb, lambs once there. And the Passover lamb is significant because it connects to Jesus as the Lamb of God. From Exodus 13, 13 to Numbers 28, 14. the word lamb is mentioned another 46 times connected with the various sacrifices of the children of Israel. In 1 Samuel 7, 9, Samuel judged over Israel. He took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And God responded to Samuel's offering by giving Israel a great victory over their adversaries, the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35, David refers to, to a lamb twice, as he recounts to King Saul how God used him to deliver a lamb from the mouth of a lion and that of a bear. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 3 through 7, Nathan the prophet used the word lamb three times to teach David when he had sinned with Bathsheba, being a rich man who took a poor man's wife, as we know the story, as he related that to that of a little lamb, to illustrate that David's many wives having many lambs and taking Uriah's wife Bathsheba, but the word lamb is only found 10 more times in the Old Testament. Three of these are connected to Christ. I would like to read those three to you. Two, two, Isaiah eleven six and Isaiah sixty-five twenty-five, very similar, so I'm going to read Isaiah eleven six. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the young lion, the fatling together, and a child shall lead them. Speaking about the messianic kingdom of Christ. The third, perhaps the most famous, Messianic prophecy, Isaiah 53, 7. Yet he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, as a lamb led to the slaughterer, as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, the 32 times that lamb is found, in the New Testament, 30 refer to Jesus, under the Mosaic law, each time a person, people, a nation, sinned against God, rather intentionally, or unintentionally, they had to bring, a proper sacrifice to God, today, Forgiveness is available through the offering of God's only Son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter 1.19 tells us, With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. On Pentecost, Peter declared, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Acts 4.12. And years later John would write in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 9:14 tells us how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Christ, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John said verses 30 and 31 I did not know him after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he would be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. They said, why do you baptize? He said, I came baptizing that God might reveal the Messiah to me. And when he revealed the Messiah to John, John revealed the Messiah to all those who were present. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. John is the messenger that came before Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul declared, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first but also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. There are a lot of people who are trying to shame us to remain silent. Stay in your buildings. Don't come outside and preach that Jesus to us. Maybe it's time for us to get outside. John 1, 32 and 34. John bore a witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained on him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descend and remain upon him. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. John said, I have seen and I have testified that this is the son of God. Though referenced here, the author of John uh, does not write about the baptism of Christ, but he, he gives reference to it here. Clearly, the Spirit revealed to John the Baptist that Jesus was the Messiah. And John, faithful to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, relayed that message to others. To this day, the Holy Spirit reveals to individuals the truth concerning Jesus Christ. As individuals, as saved, as part of the body of Christ, are we faithful to relay that message to others? John said, I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. As the forerunner of Christ, John was faithful to do his part, and it is now our time to proclaim Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you prepared your heart, your soul for the Messiah's coming? I hope that you have. Let's go ahead and stand together as the worship team comes. We'll close out in prayer. I'll be down front during this next song. If anyone has a prayer need, we also have prayer benches. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray for whatever need you might have, we want to serve you here today. Father, please bless this time now as we close out. Father, I just ask that you would continue to bless this church. But Lord, the needs are great. So give us this day our daily bread, Lord. When we think of those words written to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 12, we are reminded, Lord, of your provision of physical food. But also, Lord, I think of the need of spiritual food as well. So, Lord, at this hour, may your Holy Spirit work among us and give us this day our daily bread. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.